Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring Gary Chop. Gary, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I ask all my guests the exact same question, a little bit different for each of the uh, their backgrounds. Uh, for you, it's what does acting mean to you? Acting is, well, first and foremost, it's a livelihood. Uh, but uh, to me, it's uh, it's always been, acting has always been a part of my life. Ever since I was a kid, I was a performer. So I... Uh, it's it's kind of a hard, a difficult question. What does acting mean to me? What is it? What is acting to me? Well, the acting is uh, it's my life. It's fun. It's the it's the one thing in my life that I I absolutely enjoy doing and enjoy going to work every single day when I go. And, you know, and I've been doing it for forty two years, and I never get tired of it. I love the uh, I love the whole. I guess the whole aspect of acting, the, 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 it's such an organic process. You know, there's so many, uh, so many people involved to make it work. And I, I don't call it acting. I call it reacting <laughs> because basically it's like, it's like you can't play tennis by yourself and it's really hard to act by yourself. I mean, you have to react to somebody unless you're doing a monologue. And even when you're doing a monologue, you're talking to either your inner self or, or higher power, whatever, whatever it is or you're talking to the audience, but you're, it's about reacting. And, uh, and that's what I, that's what I do. I just, I react and hopefully I react really well. So. <laughs> well, you just mentioned it 42 years in the business. Have you enjoyed yeah. it over the last 42 years? I certainly have. I mean, the, the first years were, the first years were a little uh, tough because, well, that's what they call the salad days because you're not, uh, you're, you're scrambling for work and scrambling to make a name for yourself. Uh, that was just my wife. She just uh, went on Skype and said, have a great day. So, she's so sweet. She's a city councilor. Oh, wow. In Vancouver, yeah. Like like the, in the city of Vancouver? Yeah, she works for the, she's a, a councilor on the on Vancouver City Council. Did not know that. Out of everything I've researched about you, Gary, I can say that. I was did wild. not know that. I did not. Ah. Yeah, she's uh, she's one smart cookie, that one. But uh, anyway, uh, as I was saying, it's hard to, you know, you make a name for yourself and you got to get established and it's like a catch-22. They won't hire you because you don't have any experience and you can't get any experience because they won't hire you. And then finally, you just do, you just do it. You just keep pestering them until they say, okay. And then they give you a chance to stretch your stuff and, and I, and, and you better be ready to stretch your stuff. And, uh, I did. Okay. I, uh, I had some, uh, well, you started in the late seventies with yeah. voice acting and traditionally, uh, the seventies and early eighties, it wasn't really well, uh, a well-versed area of voice acting, which you started in with, and yeah. I want to make sure I get the right name here. There's a, uh, it was a 
English dub version of the TV show Space Carrier Blue Noah. Do you remember that? My I, God. I, I do, because I remember watching it and I remember I, I pulled it up because I was like, I haven't heard about that in forever. So I th- for I you made that in Ottawa, I think. Well, and that's what I was fascinated about. It's an English dub version of uh, a Japanese show, and you get a well-known part in that uh, show. Was yeah. that a was that a saving grace for you? Was that the moment you went, okay, I got a I got yeah. a part on a series because that's yeah. hard to come by. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm trying to think what I I got that my start in cartoons. Uh, I think that was a little later on that one, but my start in cartoons was with a, a show called Hiawatha. Okay. And I had never auditioned for a cartoon before, and that was in 1981 or something, 82. I started in the theater in the, in the 70s, and I toured with the theater across the country and sang, sang children's shows and whatnot, as a lot of us do. And... Um, I got I got an audition for this cartoon called Hiawatha for Kenner Classics, uh, uh, Nickelodeon, and I went in and it was at a place called Atkinson Film Arts, and Atkinson was the company that made Fritz the Cat, and Heavy Metal, and The Man Who Skied Down Everest, and things like that, and uh, so I was a bit excited and uh, I said, okay, sure, yeah, I've never done that before, so I went in and I read for a part. And I read for another one and read for another one. Well, I ended up booking like three or four parts in this in this cartoon. And I thought, well, that's pretty groovy, including the 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 the, the lead role of uh, Hiawatha. And uh, and then I got my check <laughs> for the session. I went, oh, oh, well, why didn't I do this before? This is a great job. And uh and I ended up doing a lot of voiceover, you know, like for the government. I did that and uh, worked on stage. I did a lot of plays in, in Ottawa. And uh, then when I came to Vancouver, I, uh, again, it was one of those pestering things, you know, put a chocolate bar on your tape and send it out and hopefully they'll associate the chocolate bar with your with your voice and, and bring you in to read. and. There was this woman, woman's name, Agnes Winlaw, who was the secretary of a, of a, of a studio that I used to pester. And she, I'd bug her all the time, every week. Anything yet? Anything yet? No, no, there's nothing. There's nothing. We're still friends. That's like, you know, 40 years or no. You still pester her to today? <laughs> oh, no, she's retired now. But, but uh, it was so funny. Um, uh, and I finally, they finally broke down and they gave me a job. And the voiceover job was for IKEA death-defying plants. And it won an award. And um, so they kept calling me. And then I started doing the voice of Toyota, the voice of a the voice of the pantry, the voice of of uh, uh, Alberta, um, Alberta Dodge, Dodge truck, Alberta uh, Ford trucks, F one F one fifty Ford trucks, bet better by Ford. Um, I did all the Alberta Ford dealers, and and uh, it just sort of took off from there. And then my film stuff 
my big break. I mean, I did some smaller, you know, small roles, just another missing kid and uh, a show about William Pitt on uh, or Captain Vancouver on CBC and uh, Rich Little's Christmas Carol way back when and just just small little things. And the breakout came when um, I got the lead, uh, one of the lead roles in The Fly Twos, a movie called The Fly Two, science fiction film. And uh, no one had ever gotten a lead in an American feature in Vancouver, you know, a local guy like me. And I've landed this role and I was on there forever. And I thought, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, when the movie was released and the test audiences went out, all of a sudden, I started getting all these calls from Paramount and Warner Brothers and and uh, and 20th Century. Oh, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Is he available for this? And they were going to, they were, they, I remember I got an, a, an ask or a, a, a tryout to be the husband of Quinn, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Yeah. Remember that? Uh, the, I, I remember it quite the well. English, the, the English actress. Yep, uh, Jane Seymour. Husband. Okay. Jane Seymour in the movie. And then they found out I was a Canadian, and all of a sudden the phone stopped ringing. Because <laughs> they didn't want to deal with the immigration and all that hassle. They thought I was American. But um, it didn't you bring matter up a good- because I ended up doing lots of different shows. You bring up a good point there, and this is the reason why I'm talking to so many great uh, voice actors and actresses uh, during this month-long series that we're putting together, is mm-hmm. Canadian voice actors were so prominent in the 90s and the 80s that you did not realize it until you go back and look at all the credits, and you realize that Canadians voice so many great shows and were part of so many staples. Was it hard, and you just hit the hammer on the nail a bit, that the Americans did not want to even look at you at first because you were Canadian and it was hard to be a voice actor when American companies who were building these great TV shows, not wanting Canadian actors and actresses. They didn't want to, they didn't want Canadian actors. They didn't like the Canadian accent, the pronunciation of out and out and boot and process and process and schedule and roof and roof and all, you know, those kinds of words, they didn't like it. So uh, what happened was, uh, I think it was Mattel who came up to Vancouver and they were the first cartoon that they brought up was a show called Tech Force, called Tech Force. And I auditioned for it, didn't get it, but some friends of mine got it. couple of guys who, who I have never I haven't seen in years Jerry McIntyre being one of them but um, they uh, they it went over well apparently and so they brought up another show and then I got a I auditioned for a show called Barbie and the Rockers for Mattel and uh, and they liked me so they kept bringing me in for auditions and uh, all of a sudden they the 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 market was taken off and it's all the Doug Parker, who was a, who was a voice director at the time and a, and a voiceover guy. Um, he was kind of instrumental in building that business and bring him here with BLT productions uh, with Josanne Lovick. And all of a sudden all these shows started coming because they could, 
they could uh, they recognized that that uh, we were doing well. And then the writers' strike or the voy- the actors' strike in Los Angeles happened, and all of a sudden our market just exploded. And they discovered that we have a lot of really good in Vancouver. We have a lot of really good and really experienced voice actors. And they were going, well, well, well why, why don't we do them up here? Let's do them up here. So they did so many shows. And I, I remember I used, to, I used to work seven days a week on different shows every single day for months and months. And it was a bit crazy, you know, but uh, that's what happened. And uh, the market was very small at that time. There were probably in Vancouver, there were probably about oh, I don't know, maybe 30, 30 people who could, uh, who could carry a show who were voice actors. And so we started putting on these workshops, voiceover workshops. We brought up Sue Blue to, uh, to uh, do some voiceover workshops and whatnot. And basically went out to our community, our, our theater and film community, and said, look, it, we have this voiceover market here in Vancouver. Why don't you take advantage of it? Come on out and, and learn. And now we have a voiceover stable that's huge and highly competent. Some real stars out there like Vincent Tong and uh, Peter New. Um, well, some, Kirby Morrow. You heard about Kirby Morrow, huh? Yeah. That was so sad. I loved it. I just, just saw him like even a, just a month ago. It just really? breaks me up. And uh, uh, just, just some really top-notch top-notch voice actors so are you saying uh, from what you from what i uh, can gather in that statement is uh the voice the voice actor strike or the actor strike down in the states really made a boom for the voice actors up in calgary or up in vancouver and canada because they were in looking toronto, for yeah. in toronto exactly so were all your friends who were also voice actors getting jobs at this time too when that boom in the industry did happen yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you got guys like, uh, oh, like Ian Corlett was uh, was was a big one. Uh, Al Willows, um, Mike Donovan, um, Kathleen Barr, Venus Terzo. Uh, Is it still there though? Is the industry still there in the voice acting community in Vancouver and in Canada? Oh, because- yeah, yeah. Lots of shows. Lots of shows made in Vancouver. I I do. I, I do one show right now called Chip and Potato, which is a kid's show. And uh, I was doing um, Ninjago and, um, and Nexo Nights and things like that uh, back then. But the, the plague has sort of slowed things down a little bit. Um, I'm waiting on, on a, a few things to, to happen as soon as this, this plague is over. But no, no, the voiceover market is still, still quite strong in Vancouver. I mean, c- considering what's going on with the uh, with the world right now. You 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 talked about the fly too, and how it sort of sparked the 
Gary Chalk revolution in the States of people wanting to uh, hire you. Uh, Looking through your resume, looking through your uh, uh, credits on IMDb, you basically, the late 80s after that movie, you were in everything. You were in magical, you were in the magical world of Disney, David Crockett. You were in MacGyver. You you started you uh, voiced He Man on the New Adventures of He Man. Like, at what point in time did you sleep? <laughs> like, well, like, I've to 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 be very honest, I um I I didn't get a lot of sleep at some at, at some at one point. There was one point. There was uh, for about two weeks. I worked 20 hours a day and I would, I was doing a a movie called Unforgettable. It was a movie called Unforgettable with Richard. I think it was Richard Gere. Yeah. Yeah. It was with Richard Gere and, uh, and, and I can't remember who else was in it, but I was working nights, so I was working from four in the evening or four in the afternoon till four in the morning. Work on this movie, and then I was doing cartoons every day, and I would start cartoons at eight, and I'd finish at three. And so I'd go eight to three, run like a bunny downtown to the film set, work from four till four, go home, sleep for four hours. I did that for two weeks, and at the end of it, I was kind of. Um, insane, uh, psychotic from, from sleep deprivation. I slept for two days after that, but, uh, that was one, one incident where it was, it was just uh, a bit crazy. And, but I'd gotten into a situation that I couldn't get out of. And, uh, yeah. Did you feel like you, did you feel at that time that you were making it in the industry? Because you all, the the drive of always wanting to better yourself, to always want the next job, to always make sure that you're the first person that uh, the audition, the casting calls that says, Hey, we want Gary. Was that part of that? I need to continually work. Sorry about my dog behind me here. Oh, I love dogs. So don't worry. So was that part of it where you always wanted to make sure that you were the reliable guy that people could call if they needed someone to do a job? Yes. Always. Because my, I have a very strong work ethic and I've always had a strong work ethic no matter what. And I needed to provide for my family. And um, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't struggling trying to, you know, pay the bills. And cause I went through that for years and years and years of, you know, back in the theater days when, you know, trying to pay your bills and then, you know, and trying to pay your taxes and then falling behind on taxes and falling behind on bills. And I just didn't want to do that anymore. So I didn't take holidays. I didn't do, you know, didn't, uh, you know, go find myself on a journey somewhere. I just, all I wanted to do was work because work was fun. Like to me, work was great and to get paid for it, it was just wonderful. And uh, I still feel that way today. And I also, it also, it's a, it, it's weird. It's kind of a validation that, that you are, I never want to be that guy who, oh, remember him? He's not doing anything more. And then they're like some wrinkled old guy sitting in a wheelchair going, hmm, I remember the days. No, I, I love it. I just love it. And I will do it until I drop dead. 
Really? <laughs> you don't plan on slowing down anytime soon because ever. No. Wow. I mean, my my wife, and it's a good match because my wife is a workaholic. Well, yeah. as a city councilor for Vancouver, I'm assuming she's quite busy twenty four seven. Twelve hours a day, she's you know doing her thing, and then plus her you know all her meetings and, and doing all that. It's hard. It's hard for her. And uh, when I'm not working, it's hard for her because I'm around, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I it's I, when I think to myself, see, let's see, what would I rather do? Sit around at home, watch TV. Uh, read books, play music, and do nothing, or go out and earn some money and have fun and work with my friends and and uh, challenge myself once again. I'll, I'll take option two. Thank you very much. And uh, like right now, I'm I'm sitting in this hotel room and I've been in here for enough, like three days now, and I'm going a bit squirrely because because uh, well, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I'm way down in uh, in uh, Can't where run. am I? I'm in South Calgary. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Uh, by Chinook Mall, you know, down there. Yep, I know it quite well. I, yes. I'm, in, I'm in the northeast by the airport, so. Oh, uh, you're uh, way up there. Okay, yeah. well, I'm way down here. Anyway, it's uh, it's fine. I mean, I've because I've I've been utilizing my time. I played some music and. I've been learning all my lines and I've got, you know, five shows to learn lines for. So getting all that done, but, uh, it's, a it's a hell of a life when you're working. It's heaven. When you're not working, it's, uh, it's difficult. It's challenging. And has the pandemic and we haven't even got to your part, like you, like the, like the, the, core of your career yet we're yeah. going on this whole amazing tangent that i love because it, it goes into the story of what i like to talk about is the person behind this uh the the yeah. voice right the actor um yeah. has the pandemic affected you in any way like i know you we talked about it beforehand i'm not sure if you're uh, okay with me talking about it but you're in quarantine you got tested you're negative but um has the pandemic changed the way that you've looked at your career, your life as well? Well, um, apart from the fact that, uh, you know, it left me idle from February until basically a month and a half ago. I mean, I did, a, you know, so I do a couple of voiceover jobs here and there and did some at home, which will be, <laughs> I did, I did a voiceover scratch track that I thought was a scratch, but it was uh, on my home studio. And it was good enough that they kept it in the movie. So and that was a, a, an animated, well, not an animated, a kid show called Cats and Dogs. Okay. Cats and Dogs, that movie. Yeah. And I play an old uh, golden lab named Old Dog. Old, 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 what's his name? I can't remember. Anyway, I, uh, I, did, the, I did recorded that at home. And I found that that's a, that's a lot of things that the, the, the whole audition process has changed. You have to do it. It's all remote by, uh, by like, like this on zoom or, um, just going and doing self tapes and recording them, which is difficult. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's changed. I mean, I location shooting is difficult and I just came off a new series that uh, I've been working on for the last uh, month or so. And uh, the protocols, 
the testing, the wearing the masks, always mask when you go into uh, go into on set. The only take the time, the only time you take them off is when you actually have to speak when you're on camera. Otherwise, can't, the masks are on. Go back to your trailer or your or, or or keep your distance. And there's two monitors who go around the set checking to see who's got their mask on and who doesn't. And then I have to go in for a check, a check out. You know, I check every morning with the temperature and all that. And then uh, every several days, um, a uh, the nose swab thing. Uh, yeah. So, you know, well, here and I'm here. I've had my first throat swab thing, which was, you know, a little easier, but uh, not, no, I think I prefer the nose to the throat thing. Uh, I'm in the same opinion but, as yourself, Gary. Huh? Um, I'm in the same opinion as yourself. I I would prefer them sticking it up my nose. When I got my test, they stuck it up my nose. And then my last one that I had to get tested, they did my throat. And I was like, nope, just shove it up my nose next time because I prefer nope. that. It makes you <laughs> gag. It's just the weirdest feeling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, but get it's in- done. It's done. But it's changed everything. It's a. Uh, it's like the your all the protocols for work have all gone. You know out the window there's no more hugs there's no more that no more you know interplay it's it's all very everybody's very distant and keep me to themselves and you know because a, a lot of the people that i work with i've been working with for 30 years and it's really hard to go up to somebody and go hey, oh and give the old yeah. elbow bump <laughs> you know it's just it's just not the same no and I, i'm I, just I, hoping that it ends soon so one advantage, though, is uh, for Vancouver actors anyway, is we got 41 productions going right now. And uh, a lot of Canadian actors are getting uh, work that would normally go to Americans because, um, because they can't afford or they don't want to pay a 14-day 14 14-day, 14 uh, quarantine coming from America into Canada before they start work. So a lot of, uh, lots of advantages to, uh, some, to actors in, in this country, which is great. I like it, but uh, I'm also getting to a point where, you know, I'm getting older. So the parts, well, getting older, I am older. So the, the, the parts are not as uh, hot and heavy as they used to be. And uh it's still, it's still going, you know, still got lots to offer, but uh, they mainly write for younger people, so. You have been described as a character actor when, uh, uh, would you agree with that statement? Yeah. What is a character actor to you? A character actor is, is one who provides, provides uh, color and, and, uh, and support for well, uh, support for a lead actor. I mean, I couldn't be a lead actor. I've been a lead actor. I don't care. I mean, but I'm more of a character actor these days because uh, because I can take on a lot of different roles. And and you know, your 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 movie is only as good as your cast. And if you've got a great cast and great performers, it's terrible to have. Uh, you know, a, a lead actor who's really good and, uh, or a lead actress who's really good. And then you have support actors who can't do bugger all. They're, they're just no good. And so all you can think of is not how good these guys are, but how bad these guys are. So 
what you're what you want to do is you want to do the do the best the best that you can do and uh, a lot of times i'll go into a role where you know i am a, a part of the movie i'm like the fifth business i'm the a, a, a um, what do you call it? a catalyst that makes that that brings the whole picture together if I wasn't there and somebody else was there, you've got to have a strong, a strong character to, to, well, basically support the, support the leads. And that's what you do. And you carry the story forward and it's, you know, you can't watch just two people over and over just doing the same thing. You need, you need some variety and you want to watch people that are good. The Brits are brilliant at this. Yeah. You know, when you watch like British movies, you'll see a guy who only has like four lines in the movie, but man, oh man, he does those four lines absolutely perfect. And it's a seamless integration into the movie. Like not, uh, you know, a lot of people think, oh, this is my part, this is the beginning of the movie and the middle of the movie and the end of the movie. No, no, it's just a tiny little piece of the movie, but it's an important little piece, <laughs> you know? You have, uh, in your uh, long history in acting, you have been a lieutenant, you have been a detective, you have been a captain, you have been the uh, uh, officer, you are a staple of the military branch and the police force. Did you expect this when you were going, when you were becoming an actor in the 80s and 90s, that you would be destined for those roles of lieutenant, as captain, as detective? No, I always thought I was going to be Prince Hal, you know, but. uh... (laughs) Well, you were a prince. Let's be honest. You were a prince in a cartoon show. So in a cartoon show, I was a prince. Yes. But. no, I never expected to be, but apparently I had an inkling because when I worked, I used to work at the Justice Institute doing these, um, you know, scenarios for police scenarios. And I remember the head of the program of the, uh, the uh, police program, Corporal Miller. And he came up to me and he said, you know, you would be a great police officer. And I said, Really? And he says, yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, you sign your name it's on, and you're in. Just like that, to wow. be a Vancouver policeman. And I said, well, that, that sounds like fun, but I don't think cut <laughs> but that's but But what, it, what happened was is that uh, Vancouver City Police get paid very well. <laughs> so... But they, they, they said, no, you'd be, you'd be perfect. I would, we would love to have you on the force. And I went, <clears throat> well, there was a time when I would have, I would have accepted. And I was almost, almost accepted, but then I didn't. And then, um, and then I started getting cop roles on shows. I'm not, matter of fact, one of, I think one of my first movie roles was a movie called uh, Looking for Mr. Patman. With uh, James Coburn, and I played a cop, and then I played cops, and then I played uh, in 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 a play. I played a Bobby, and in another play, I played a black and tan, which was a a British policeman in Ireland back in the turn of the century. So I'm going, well, maybe I am, maybe I will be. So I've been typecast as a cop, and then one day, I think it was in the '90s, 
I was uh, reading for a movie, a detective. What the hell was it? Oh, I can't remember. I'll get them. Anyway, I was reading for this movie. And I walked in and I said, Jesus Christ. And I said it just like, Jesus Christ. You know, you're always calling me in to read for cops. Can I, can I be a teacher or a doctor or a professor or something like that? And the guy goes, no, you look like every cop I ever knew. You're a cop. <laughs> I got the part. <laughs> but, but that has happened, you know, that's happened so many times. I've played generals and colonels and, and captains and inspectors. And, but apparently I, I, I do that very well because other cops have said that I do that very well. Um, I remember I was shooting a show called Blackstone up in, up in Edmonton. And I was playing the deputy police chief for Edmonton. And uh, they used real um, Edmonton police as backgrounders in the, in the show. And I was reaming out uh, somebody, uh, an officer in a scene in my office. <laughs> and these cops came up to me and he goes, dude, that's so eerie. You sound exactly like our chief. <laughs> dude. That's just eerie. <laughs> the great thing is I can actually hear an Edmonton cop saying, dude. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's so eerie, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, apparently I sounded just like the chief. So, but uh, yeah. So, I'm, and even in this show, in the show that I'm doing right now, I'm the chief of justice department. So, but I don't Someone's know. I just do, do it well. It pays the bills, though, right? Like, you, oh, yeah. you no, must enjoy it. it because I you keep it. on coming back. Well, I did get to play a doctor in my last show. Rock on. <laughs> How about I a teacher? Played a doctor and, played I played a te a te and I played a teacher. And I played a doctor in a comedy with uh, Anna Ferris. I think Overboard. Did the Overboard. That Overboard. And I got to play a doctor there. And then I played grandpas. I played a few grandpas. I've reached the grandpa stage now. <laughs> What? You're not the 29-year-old who's just getting Anna No, <laughs> it's painful. It's painful. You know, it went, you know, it used to be young ingenue, the young cop, the, the love interest, and then you became the dad and the boss and that guy in the office that, you know, some people like but not a lot. And then you got the, uh, the, the, the senior roles in the police force, and then those started to wane as you got older and you started becoming the grandpa and now i'm the grandpa i'm at grandpa stage <laughs> was that a hard transition when you became the grandpa stage in your acting career, um, yes. or was it the boss part no it was the the the, the grandpa part with you know that transition i said well you know that's how it goes you know I, I've, uh, I, I remember i used to get upset when i i remember doing a show called airwolf and I think I was about 30, 35 at the time. I was in great shape. I was you know, like this. And I went and read for this part. And they and they had the, there was a part of an industrialist. And they, the, the character description was fat, florid, and 50. <laughs> fat, florid, and 50. And I went to my... Uh, to my agent, and I said, are you kidding me? Fat, florid, and 50? I look fat, florid, and 50 to you? And he goes, no, 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 that's just a description. They'll, they're, they're, 
Well, I got the part. So I went up to the director and I said, sir, do you think I'm fat floored and 50? He goes, no, 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 you just did the part. But so that, that happened a few times. I was starting to get a complex. And now I am fat floored and nearly 70. <laughs> you, uh, your career has spanned it, like I said, since the 80s till today, and it will probably go on for a few years to come. Yeah. I'm not saying you're going to be retiring anytime mm. soon, but you mm. plan to go right up until uh, the heavenly gates call you. But you you have done voice acting. You have done acting in televisions. You've done acting in movies. Is there a preferred venue that you uh, would like to continue on if you had one choice to whether it be TV, whether it be movies or whether it be voice acting? See, that's a, that's a really difficult question to answer because each one of them has its own attraction. Like, I love working in movies because I love, you know, being with my friends and the crews and working on the crews and the technical aspects of filmmaking. It always uh, intrigues me. I love how it is now and watch watching the, the advancements made. You know, I went over to the video village the other day and I looked at them watching you know, the, the, watching the video and doing color correct and all that. And they're doing it right there as I'm watching. Wow. And they have this, this massive technology that I have no idea how it works, but it works. And, they, and the cameras are smaller and they're digital. And uh, so that always intrigues me. Uh, voiceover, I love doing voiceover because you get to, you get to play characters you would never play on camera. And, um, and also it's fast and furious and it pays well and you get to have a good time. You, you don't have to, you know, get changed, but the challenge is, is making that voice come to life, you know, bringing it off the page and making it believable in an unbelievable world. I love that. I love that challenge. Uh, theater is the same. I love the immediacy of being on the stage and, and having a, having the, the audience react to you right away and, and uh, just getting that, 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 the smell of the grease paint, the roar of the crowd, you know, it's, uh, I love that. I just love that. And that's what that, I get, but I get that with my music because I perform music as well. And uh, that allows me to, uh, to get that, that live audience fix, which I just adore. And uh, so all aspects of the, of the business have their own attractions. If, but if there's one preference, hmm. Oh, it's hard to say. I think at my age, maybe going to voice. Understandable. Um, well, there, the days are long in film these days, you know, you know, 12 hour days. Protocols around everything with COVID-19 right now, it's probably even worse for, all actors, not just actors, but people on yeah. set who are doing. Everybody on set is feeling the stress and strain. They just closed down the Flash yesterday. Did they? Yeah. Oh wow! You know the the, the series, the Flash. Yep. Yeah, they just shut it down. Someone tested positive on set, so down it went. Well, that's what the world we live in, right? We live in the yeah, world. And the good doctor had the same thing, you know. Yeah. Sure. It's the good doctor. He got him and his wife, the, the guy who played the head of the program. Oh, what's his name? The young gentleman? No, the old guy. Rupert, R Richard Skyfe? His boss. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. 
They both, him and his wife, were both in the hospital in Vancouver. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, it, it has changed. Um, before we move into the, uh, a little bit back into what we were talking about, I want to talk about your music career for a little bit here. Uh, has music always been a passion of yours? Yes, since what, I was a kid. What is it? What is it about music that keeps you playing, performing? Well, there's several things. Music. So I can have the shittiest day on the planet, and I'll get together with my friend or go in, go in front of an audience and 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 play music, and it all disappears. It just totally elevates, elevates uh, my mood completely. And I think it's because, well, because I love singing and I just, I love playing. I just love the sound of the, the things that I do. And, and I love, I love uh, the reactions that I get from people when I'm playing and uh, they like to hear it and I like to perform it. So it's a, it makes me feel it makes it just feel so good to play music. And I love the challenge of learning a new song. And, and uh, I guess, yeah, go ahead. Were, you, were your parents musically inclined or were, is it something that you picked mm, up on your own? No, I'm the only musician in, town, in my home, <laughs> in my family. Uh, except for my, no, my grandmother, who I, I don't really know. I've never, I only, I can't remember her because I was too young. But my grandmother had innate musical ability in that she could hear a song and just sit at the piano and play it. Wow. And she was a, a great piano player. She only had to hear the song once and she could play it. She was one of those weird people who could, uh, like like an idiot savant, but she wasn't an idiot. She wasn't an idiot. She just had a fantastic ear and she could just play. And my... Uh, that's about the only one I know of in my family who had, had music in them. But my mother and my sisters, my mother and my two sisters um, are fabulous artists, painters. Okay. They just do um, brilliant stuff. My, uh, my, uh, my sister is, is doing commission pieces right now in the interior and my other sister does commission pieces and she has shows in galleries She sold quite a lot of her paintings my mother's another great painter she hadn't painted for a while because her arthritis got to her but uh, yeah i just uh i i picked up i picked up music um when i was about a musical instrument when I was about 15. Before that, I used to sing. And I, and I sang in choirs and did all that stuff. And I just loved that aspect of it. But uh started picking, playing uh, guitar when I was about 15. And I was just an annoying pest because I used to watch what other people play. And I said, how do you do that? Let me do that. I want to do that. And uh, they said, no, oh, this is my lick. <laughs> people were very, very, stay away, man. Don't. Don't copy my playing. But uh, now I play, I play every day. 
Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Bye-bye.